Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. Um, so we're rolling. I'm going to sip my tea. Oh, what a wonderful idea. Tea. Have you noticed I've got a lovely tartan mug? Yeah, and, a tartan, and a tartan couch. Tartan couch. Sofa. Tartan chairs. Yeah. The, the couch and the chairs are my clan tartan, which is Ferguson, but the cup is just uh, tartan. It's just, it's just tartan or plaid, as they call it here. Right? Or plaid, they call it plaid. Yeah. Sometimes my kids call it plaid and I get very upset. I'm yeah. like, it's tartan. But they don't even speak with your accent now, No, do they, they don't. They don't. Well, nobody, to be fair, nobody speaks with my accent. Not even back in the old country, they don't Really? Speak. No, they think I speak quite American. Do you think I speak American? No. Well, you better take it up with them. Because they're like, in fact, I was working with someone the other day and I said, you know that thing in stores? And they went, we don't have stores here. We have shops. We have shops. So it's not even so much the accent as the choice of my choice of nouns. Yeah, is sometimes sidewalk, footpath. Yeah, yeah, that thing. But but you get used to it here because if I say garage here, people are like a what? Well, and then if I say garage, but the worst one that I ever had. <laughs> this is funny, but it's very not cool. Like if you pay the union, and um, if you, like, when you pay your union in, in Britain, if you pay your equity subs, in other words, you'd call them as union dues? Yes. You'd call your union dues. Gosh, you wouldn't want to do that here. Well, I called the Writers Guild and I said, I need to get, can you put me through to the dues department? <laughs> <laughs> and they went, what? And I said, I, I need to pay your dues. Stop it. <laughs> and then the guy, and he went, oh, dues. And then I started laughing, he started laughing, and I laughed because do is a Scottish word for pigeon, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh yeah, sure, I'll pay your dues. 
And he was like, you can pay the dues. It was like this whole big thing that went on with just... So and now I just go for the words straight away. It's true. I need to pay your dues. And he was like, what? <laughs> so I You're think silent started. there. Well, I'm silent because I was going to introduce you, but now we've, <laughs> we're actually three minutes in. My guest is Lynn Ferguson. Hello. Hello. Uh, actor, writer, director. Mongrel. All-round fabulous, but yeah, mongrel. I am a mongrel. Person. Yeah, yeah, mongrel, really. But all-round fabulous person, and 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 we were introduced by a friend from the UK. I know. And, Who's called uh, Lynn? Who is called yeah, Lynn? See. And uh, and as soon as we met, it was uh, trouble. It was trouble. Hey, but we are like, is it the beginning of Charlie's Angels where they went? As soon as they met, it was trouble. Something oh, like that. But we need a male voiceover, and we need one other woman. Yeah, well, that's not happening. That's not, that's not going to happen. Actually, I could invite my husband up. He could count us both. Yeah, but then we'd never get the interview no, done. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. God, Sorry, he Mark. talks. Doesn't he talk? Well, he talks like he really talks. I get that. Yeah. I've been known to do that. No. I speak to people in Ralph's. <laughs> and you can see them trying to get away with their trolley. You know? <laughs> do you ever do that when you're travelling? Like, I was in New York, like, two weeks ago, a week ago. And I had horrible jet lag, right? Because flying, you would think it wouldn't make that much difference because there's only, like, three hours difference between L.A. and New York. But, my God, I don't know what it is. It really hurt. And, um, and then I, I wanted a kettle to make tea, right? So I went down to the hotel reception and I had this long discussion with the people behind the uh, reception about why I wanted a kettle and I could see both of them going... Oh, lonely middle-aged lady. Where are you your know? cats? <laughs> <laughs> it totally was. Oh, do you know that way when you're talking? You probably don't, actually, because you're, like, all colourful and, you know, like, energetic, and people are like, oh, look at you, big bird of paradise. <laughs> but, like, sometimes when I'm talking to people, like, I talk to people at that thing, and I could see them just going... Please go away, lonely lady. Oh, Please. No. I know. I think I it's know. because people don't make tea and coffee in their rooms in, in mm. America. Do you think? Yes. I No, I think it was because it was like 3 o'clock in the morning and I was talking oh, okay. a lot, you know, a lot. And not drunk or anything, just like lonely. Yes, well, <laughs> I totally get that. I can spend days where I don't talk to another human being. You? And I, yes. I don't believe Shut that. Shut up. No, I, I don't believe that. I get to the... I bet you phone people up just to talk to them. Nobody like, hey, takes phone it's been calls. Been an hour. It's all texting. <laughs> no, I, I go to the Y and God help if anybody's on the bike next to me. You know, it's like I, I'll even fall so I take their earbuds out. Oh, oh sorry about that. I'm an Australian, you know. <laughs> but you'll be fine, though, because you flash that... Honey voice. And people oh. will be like, oh, listen to her. It just, yeah, it just depends. Yeah. You know, I did try and apply for a job as a phone sex operator. You did? Yeah. And how did it go? Well, it's awful. I mean, I couldn't uh, possibly keep the job long enough. Oh. I couldn't keep them online. I'd be like, for God's sake. Do you have too much of a visual... Well, I imagine yes. they hear your voice and it's over pretty fast. Pretty much. Oh, yeah, they're like, yeah. whoa. It's like, what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. How has this interview gone down this path already? But I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So you can see why Lynn and Miles Mendoza introduced Lynn Ferguson and I, because we are women of a certain type. Yep. I was babysitting a friend's child last Friday, mm -hmm. and we'd exhausted Batman and the Octonauts, and I said, I oh, know, the I know, Octonauts. we're going to watch mm. Chicken Run. Oh, you did? You're the voice of Mac. I am. I'm a that chicken. is the cutest character Do you like I've that ever chicken? seen. The eyes and the, oh. little, the little hat. 
Gorgeous. Thank you. How did that come about? You just they uh, I had an agent. They asked me to go in and read. I read. Then I did the movie, and that was it. And it was funny though because you're not you with Ardman. You put down the track, and then they do the stuff afterwards. And then you might put the track again down. Mm -hmm. But um, I met someone at the premiere party who came up and was kind of just staring at me, and they said, "I'm I'm responsible for your hair." I did your hair, and they were the person who did. <coughs> excuse me, all the hair on the. Yeah, excuse on me. The, sorry, yes, yes, of course. <coughs> we can let edit that out. Oh, you can. Yeah. Let me tell you, I got fluff. I think it was because I was talking about hair. It's like furball. You don't have a cat, do you? I don't know. No, and I don't like carpets either. Um, so this guy came up to you, and he said. I did your hair. He was staring at me and I was like... But what he meant was he'd done the, the chicken's hair. He'd yes. done the chicken's hair, not my hair. It was fascinating, actually. It was one of the first dates that I had with my now husband was I took him to that movie premiere. After having... <laughs> when we met, I told him I was a dentist because I figured, right, that if you... No offence to dental people. I mean, you know, you got a teeth depend on you. The world of teeth depend on you, but... You may have noticed that, that dentists aren't great at picking up people. And I'd had a lot of things where I felt like people were kind of talking to me because, I don't know, they thought it was entertaining or something. So I said, I'm a dentist. So for the first, I guess, first week or so, he thought I was a dentist. And then within a month... And he fell for you anyway. Well, you see, see that's how I knew it was love, <gasps> you know? So then I took him to the uh, Chicken Run premiere and the big party afterwards, and they had these massive people in stilts dressed as kind of emus, mm. and uh, they were like, wandering about, and Mark, my husband, was wearing a kilt, and at one point it was like, it was like Harry Potter, all these like emus chasing him, trying to pull up his kilt. It was hilarious. Where was the, where was the premiere? London. Okay. It was in, in Leicester Square, yeah. So you've raised, you've raised something, uh, just, Quickly, mm. uh, born in Scotland, yeah. studied at the Royal, the Royal Scottish Royal Academy. Academy. Um, mm. And you are a playwright. We're going to talk about what you've got at Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. You've also appeared in... Oh, the bill. Do you get the bill in Australia? Oh, gosh. You do? That's why I'm single. Saturday nights... It's all your fault. Saturday nights was always watching the bill. Oh, man. It's called Wooden Top, initially. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I played Brenda Kelman. It was quite a depressing part, actually. Brenda Kelman came in as... She was in one episode initially. And she came in as um, a prostitute who had been raped by a, this guy who they believed was a serial killer. And uh, so it wasn't a lot of laughs, do you know what I mean? Not a lot of laughs. And then, then I kept coming back. I came back for another two episodes or something because uh, the, the, <laughs> the serial killer, who was actually played by a really adorable actor friend of mine called Jim, who wouldn't like even say boo to a goose, do you know what I mean? Um, apparently he kept coming back and terrorising me and, you know, tying me up and torturing me. So whenever I appeared on the bill, it was always as this ter in this terrible state, which fitted because I just had a child at the time. And so I think one day I went in for filming and I hadn't slept for, like, 36 hours because my child had, like, croup or something. And I was sitting there, don't worry with the makeup. <laughs> it's all working. 
<laughs> do you can you do other accents or is it just I can but I'm terrible at it uh, or some of them I am and and in fact one of the movies that I took my husband to um, within the first month of us dating after you just having... took him to all the things you'd been in did you I did That's but after having telling him I was a dentist yeah. it totally freaked him out I did a movie called Honest where I played an art collector who was an Australian art collector called Loretta. And there's nothing quite so embarrassing as seeing your enormous face on an enormous screen doing an enormously not very good Australian accent to make you go, you know what, I'm not really an accent person. I think I'll mostly stick to my own voice. Do you get a shock when you see Alan coming, for example? No. Alan, he was a year above me at college. Oh. And uh, he's, he's always been really good. He's like a chameleon. And I think that some actors just are chameleons, you know? Like, he really can go in and out, and he's very different in real life than he is in, like, The Good Wife. Mm. But if you look at someone like... Um, Bobby Carlyle, Robert Carlyle, who was also at college. Who was in... Um, <clears throat> Trainspotting, and he's in Once and, Upon a Time. And also, what was that wonderful series with the little dog? Oh, Hamish Macbeth. Hamish yeah. Macbeth. That he, although he's chameleon-like, he's very much... Um, Rob, he's very much Robert Carlyle. Do you know what I mean? Like, when you see Robert Carlyle, you go, oh, it's Robert Carlyle. Do you yes. know what I mean? Whereas with Alan Cumming, you go, I'm not even terribly sure who you're going to be. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? Yes. So, no, not at all surprised with his accent. I'm sure Bobby's really good at accents too, but mm. but um, I kind of like it that he, they're different types of actor, I think. Getting back to something that, that you were talking about before, uh, in that with all of this experience as a performer, mm. and, and so, so you've also you'd stand up and storytelling, which we are going to talk about. But you said that when you met your husband, Mark, mm. you introduced yourself as being a dentist. I did. Why? You know, at the time I was doing stand-up, and I... In fact, it's one of my big bugbears. It's one of the reasons why I do love doing storytelling. I believe that there's this kind of misinterpretation or something that anybody who works in entertainment is more interesting than other people who don't work in entertainment. And it's not true. It, like, really isn't true. And I, I had got kind of tired of it. You know, like, I, I still get really angry at news items and stuff like that where they say, well, this terrible thing happened in Syria and it's so terrible that a celebrity tweeted about it. I'm like... Really, does do you have to be like a celebrity before your opinion matters? That's very complex because, I mean, celebrities bring a lot of attention to important issues, but I hear what you're saying. They do. They do. And I love it when celebrities have got a cause. You know, like the stuff that, uh, like, um, Actually, you know what, what Bono, I know that people you know, slag off Bono a lot for what, you know, what he's like, but he does a lot of stuff for like that whole red and AIDS and everything, mm. you know. And um, who's the Titanic guy that I can't remember off the top DiCaprio. of my head? DiCaprio. Yeah, who's do, he does like a whole load of things about blood diamonds and global warming oh, yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah. I totally get that. <laughs> but, but you're I not talking about that. No, you're, this is more about people having the expectation of you because of you being a performer. Yeah, or thinking that I would be more interesting than I am because I'm a performer. And I have to say that some of the most interesting people I've met 
conversation-wise, are quite quietly just getting on with their lives, mm. you know. Like through the moth, I uh, I met I've met loads of people actually. It's a lovely guy called Sasha Chanov who runs this thing called Refuge Point. I think it's called, and basically he goes in. Like, you know when in these areas, when everybody's left, like the Red Cross have left, everybody's left, and nobody thinks it's safe to be there anymore? Then him and his team go in and they take out refugees. They, like, bring them out, you know? And he's just this really quiet, mild-mannered guy that just chats. Um, I met a woman who, the woman who discovered the breast cancer gene, and she's, like, we both of us sat together in this restaurant, we were like, ah, the music's very loud, isn't it? And, um, and similarly, I met a woman who is very quiet, lives in France, and was a spy in Churchill's secret army, you know. I met, like, loads of really interesting people who are people. And so, at that time, I had an attitude about it because my interest in other humans is much less about what they do and who they are. You know, like, I like to hear who they are. Um, and I don't mean that, like, if someone said to me, you know, what I do is I, um, I, if someone said I, I don't know, I crucify cats for a living, I probably wouldn't be very interested in talking to them, right? Mm. But I, I never really think that someone who's a celebrity is more interesting than someone else. But from your own perspective, mm. do you find that when you, because I, I've been in the same position, mm. when you introduce yourself, sometimes it's, it's, you wish you weren't well known so that you could spend the conversation talking about them or anything else mm. other than immediately zeroing in on what you do and how you do it and is it that kind of thing what is that why i told him i was a dentist yeah. i was just bored of it <clears throat> you know there were, and then, to be honest there was a thing as well of um, men going let's bed a comedian oh, you know let's that's bed that's never a happened to <laughs> me. No, it's not no I had I that for I a while. too much. <coughs> well, maybe. <laughs> Not very good. You've got too sexy a voice. They'd all be over in their trousers well, before they even got you home, lady. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to find out what it was like to have a relationship without it being involved. I've never had a real job. I never really have had a real job. Um, the longest job I had was writing at the Late Late Show, and I, before that, the longest job I had was six months uh, touring with the National Theatre. You know, so I, I never, I've never had a job where I've gone to work all the time, and I, I, I like, I really admire, I actually really admire people who do that. And I know it's really common to for people to go, oh, they've just got like they, they have like a ninety-five. I'm like, man, I. I I'd like to understand the discipline of that. Yeah. I'd like to know how that works. And I'd like to know do how... Do you think you... you could do it? No, I can't. I can't do it. I mean, I, I, you know, two and a half years of writing was difficult on the same show because, because my mind goes off in different places, you know. Um, so I don't think I could repeat it over and over again. I, d I just don't have that rhythm. You know, I think it's that, like, people are like musical instruments. Everybody's got a different sound and a different place and then they you know together we all make a beautiful orchestra and we're really not all the same no we don't there's always somebody up the back <laughs> <in the> triangle <laughs> but you know what you need a triangle you need a triangle but like there's a thing even with um my sons i uh i like to think that they are 
in a world that they exist in a world where they could say, I want to be like a policeman mm -hmm. or I want to be a dentist or I want to be a teacher or I want to be a... Like, actually, the world needs people who can do stuff and it doesn't always need sort of... Um, comedy entertainment monkeys. Do you, is that you speaking from the perspective of thinking that too many people are wanting to be performers? I don't think that too many people are wanting to be performers, but I think that there's a danger that when you constantly say, or when one constantly says, this situation is so bad that a Cardassian tweeted about it, then I think that what you're telling children is that that's what they should aspire to be. As a, like, because they become <clears throat> spokespeople and therefore yeah. it's important. Or because then their opinions are important. I think when we belittle people, like, when, you know, like, I don't want to get too political, but I think this, somebody said this thing, in fact, it was the principal of my school when I, um, when I was at high school, so I was maybe like 14, 15, and I remember resenting it hugely at the time, like, hugely. And he said that some people deserved to be paid more than others. It was a careers talk. Some people deserved to be paid more than others because some, like, there were some people that could only do, they could do this thing and there'd only be a few of them where there's like lots of people who can do this other thing. And when there's lots of people who can do the other thing, then they don't need to get paid so much. That's awful. I know. And the people, you know the people he was talking about, the lots of people that don't deserve to get paid too much? Nurses. Yeah, I know, right. And, it, and like in my head, I was like that. Yeah, you know, see if I have a like a kidney infection or my appendix needs taken out or something, I, I don't think I really want a unicyclist. And even if Van Gogh came back, he ain't going to be much use to me. So I think what happened in my head is I disliked even from then the belittling of people who do stuff that actually make society function and better. And I still hear it, and maybe it's because I live in LA, but I, I, I dislike the notion that if you've been on television, you're better than somebody who's not. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, no, absolutely. Yesterday, I was at an audition mm. uh, as, a, as a housewife about to go on a trip to Hawaii. Mm. And there were 10 of me in the room, and there was also an audition going there, on. There's for... no such thing as 10 of you. Thank you, darling. You are a rare, <laughs> exotic, colourful bird <laughs> with this. a voice of exotic pure bird honey. And a big bird, I love that. Um, but there was also a diaper commercial, a nappy commercial, mm. and uh, and so there were fifty children under two in their, in their their diapers, and I swore that they all pooped at the same time. Oh, that my the God, smell yeah. was just outrageous. But I Instagrammed while I was there. Uh, there are all these posters for Meryl Streep's latest film about mm. uh, Florence Jenkins. Mm. Do you know the story of Florence no, Jenkins? I don't. Okay, so she thought that she was an opera singer and she was very wealthy, and her husband encouraged her. And she really, when she opened her mouth, she sounded like a cat being strangled. It's, and it's a beautiful, beautiful story. I cannot wait to see the movie. But I wrote, I just tapped out this thing on, on pages and then I turned it into an image and put it on Instagram. Be, be, be Florence, mm. right? Yeah. If you, it doesn't matter whether you can or you can't. If you think you can, just do it. Just yeah. be it, you know? And don't worry about what anybody is going to say. Sorry, that was a very long explanation. No, for I, I, didn't, I think it's true, though. And uh, because the thing is, is no matter what you do and no matter how successful you are, there's always somebody sitting in the back going douchebag. Right? right? 
So it yeah, doesn't it doesn't matter. Nobody is going to like like what you do all the time. Yeah. So there isn't any point in making that your limit. When did you decide, and what did you decide that you were going to be? Did I you never know did. what you were going to be? No, okay. I never did. Never knew. Never knew. Now and always really. I think that's why that thing with the nurses really bothered me, because um, because I knew I couldn't be one, and I knew that that was a very specific skill that I didn't have. Do you as a do you as a, a slashy writer, performer, actor, mm. do you find yourself on a certain level yearning to be normal in inverted commas, the normalcy of mm. going somewhere every day with a banana in your briefcase to do the same thing every day, to be a productive in inverted commas member of society, so as a nurse or a teacher or a police officer? Do you know what? I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because I'm... Because I'm a middle-aged lady and I'm kind of at home with myself. But also I, I have accepted what I'm good at and what I'm not. And so where I place myself in the world... like So when I'm working with storytellers, like new people coming to do story, or if uh, I'm working... If I'm directing, then I'll say to people, OK, so you think that this is about your confidence, but now that you've committed to do this, your confidence is, I'm not interested in hearing it, and I, it's none of, it's no, it has no business being here. That what you're here to do as a performer is service. You're here, performing is a service industry. So when I say to my new storytellers, I go, right, okay, you're really scared about telling your story, but the people who are coming to see you tonight, they've had babysitters, they've had weeks of their own, They've maybe got elderly relatives they look after. They've got health conditions. They've travelled here. There might be a douchebag in front of them that took the parking space. They have lives of their own, and you have ten minutes to make that better. Make it better, right? So that's what I think entertainment is. For me, that's why I do the stuff that I do. I, I wouldn't be able to help somebody with a heart condition or, you know... Uh, perform an operation, I'm, I would be terrible with root canal work. I can't even do a good flossing, probably. But what I can do is I can take a period of time where I can allow the people who do all those other jobs to uh, relax about the rest of their lives, and therefore it makes it easier for them. How did you get into storytelling? I kind of have always been in it <clears throat> and just not known. I. So I started at drama... Well, I went to drama school, excuse me. <clears throat> My best Can friend... I just... I'm going to do one at the same time. All right, let's do it. <coughs> I Thank wonder you. if it's the air conditioner. No, it's... You've got a cat somewhere in the roof or something. Pussy. <laughs> so I, um... My best friend, Rachel, I've known since two, since I was two, and she... I didn't know what I wanted to do at school, and she said she was going to drama school. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. So I auditioned for drama school, and I went to... Then I was at drama school, and I was a reluctant studio, student, really, a reluctant student. And uh, at the end of it, I didn't have my union card, so I couldn't work. And then I got offered a job in a very prestigious theatre, but they wanted me to get my own union card. And then in order to do it, to get a union card, you needed to either get a job, it was like a catch-22 thing, or do uh, cabaret. So then I did cabaret. I'd, wrote a comedy double act with this other girl. And then when I was doing that, someone offered me £250. 
which was a lot of money then, to do three minutes of stand-up on television. <gasps> and I was like, uh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so then I did that. And then I was, someone gave me money to write an hour of stand-up. Pardon me. And um, I didn't want to do it. So I wrote a play instead. And then the play, do it again. <clears throat> And um, so I wrote a play instead, and then the play won awards, and I went to Melbourne and Hong Kong and London and did a little movie of it. And then I started writing sitcom. But, and, and so, like, I've always had this thing of, like... An idea is just a, is like an object, and then you just decide how you want to show the object. So storytelling is really just what medium do you want to show the story in? Um, and I think I knew that from drama school, and I don't really know how. And then the storytelling thing, years ago at the Edinburgh Festival, I had this idea that I wanted to do, like, a kind of art exhibition of solo shows. Because by then, I'd done, like, four or five solo shows of my own. But I wanted to write them for other people. So I wrote... I guess I wrote five or something. Um, and it was quite hard work because they were half an hour. And also people don't... I learned when doing that that people don't actually know themselves as well as I think they do. So then... There's a uh, fridge magnet for oh, you. I That's know. a beauty. I love that. It's, it's true. It's, I agree with you. Well, it's very strange, though, because then you're trying to tell someone, this is what I see, and they're like, that's not true. And you're like, but you're telling me it is. So then I came here, um, and I took a little bit of my solo show out and did it as a storytelling thing. And then it went very well, and then they asked me to do the moth, and then I started doing the moth. And um, and then I started hosting the moth. Like I think the second, <laughs> like the, the way the moth works is the first one I did was a slam. The next one I did was the Avalon in Hollywood, which is maybe I don't know twelve hundred people. And then the third moth I did was the State Theatre in New York City, and it's two thousand people and it was full. And I was like, okay, I get this. This is just really about the currency of the story. So I do the I do the moth a lot. I host for the moth quite a lot now. Um, and then at one point, there was a lot of people asking me to help them with story. And um, I said to a friend of mine, "Do you think I should like teach this?" And she was like, "Yeah." And then I phoned my friend at the moth, my director, and she went, "Yeah, time." So uh, she gave me her uh, lesson plan and said, "Start playing with it." And then I took my first class. And then that is how it started, you know, and it was like, that was like a year ago and like 60 storytellers ago and two online courses. And oh, how do you get to the online course? It's on youtellyours.com. You can go there and that'll tell you everything. Um, there, you can do it on, is it Udemy? But I prefer to do it on youtellyours.com because actually there's like, you can see storytellers like our storytellers. So it means that you can look at it and go, is that, do I believe it? Because there's an awful lot of storytelling that's about presenting, and I don't believe in that. Presenting is one thing. Presenting is about covering up the story of who you really are in order to give a kind of very two-dimensional uh, representation. You know, so I feel like presenting is a bit like hiding yourself, whereas storytelling is much more like, this is who I am, are we good? 
you know. Um, or even this is who I am and it doesn't matter whether we're good or not. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But, you know, the thing that's really funny is you watch people in story class and they love each other by the end of it. Mm. In fact, even by the first class, and you would Stockholm think they wouldn't. I, no, you know, I think it is. There's a thing... Someone sent me a, a tweet the other day which was... Um, when you hear someone's story, you love them. And I think it comes from that stuff of uh, walk a day in my shoes mm. or whatever. As soon as you understand what makes a person tick, it changes. I mean, I... I, I heard a story mm. the other day and I was listening like a consumer, so I can't even tell you what it was. It was probably the Moth Radio Hour on KPCC. But it was a story of a woman who announced that she'd come from a very well-to-do family and uh, she'd met up with this man and they'd got married and they were, they were radicals, they were hippies, they'd had a child together, but they'd also developed a very nasty drug habit. Ah. And she decided one night that she just couldn't do this to her child anymore. And she reached out and found a small piece of paper that her mother, who she hadn't spoken to in years, had given to her of an outreach Christian counsellor. And, uh, and so she rang the number and it was 3 a.m. where mm. she rang and this man was very groggy and answered the phone and hello. And, and, uh, and she said, I'm calling you because my mother gave you the number and I'm a drug addict and my husband beats me and my child and what are we gonna do? And, and uh, he said, okay, and then spoke to her for ages. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, there's something I have to tell you. You got the wrong number. Oh, bless her. Right? And yet it did change her life. Yeah. And I couldn't get out of the car. I had to listen to the end of that. Mm. And that to me, because I'm a storyteller too, you know, for years mm. people have said, what do you do? And I'm a storyteller. As a journalist, I'm telling your story. As, mm. as a stand-up, I'm telling my story. As a, now a storyteller, which I didn't even know existed, I, I, I've been on in a slam and a grand mm. slam at the Moth to to um, uh, to tell a story. But you're quite right. When you hear somebody else's story, mm. and they're not trying to show you, show off, mm. or as you say, the confidence, they're just telling their story. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful art form. Well, it's how people connect. You know, yeah. we were given it because that's how, you know, tribes connected, people connected within society early on, you know. Now, mm. And then, then we decided we had different stories that we should be telling. Did I read that in one of your emails where right. about uh, the tribes getting together to sit around a campfire to tell stories instead of... Oh, no, conducting a meeting mm. by making everybody sit around a fire instead of going into a meeting and having a Skype call and a, and a webinar and a, all of this kind of thing. Anyway, if you didn't, I'll send it to no, you. No, I very, like very good. It's very, very good. Because I think that's what it is. Yeah. Because all of the stuff, you know, it, I guess it just is the stuff about are you prepared to tell the story that's really you or does the story that's really you bother you so much that you really want to present a different story? And when you present a different story, people can always hear it. The, the thing that's so addictive about storytelling and why people love it so much is the truth sounds different. It just does. And I think maybe that, I, uh, that it's so popular right now because we live in a world where lies have become a bit tiresome. You know, how many times are you tired of hearing the politicians on the TV not answering questions? 
or like someone, you, when you know there's a sex scandal and they go, no, no, it's always been lovely. It, like we've heard too many lies. But that's very much, that's, let's just group that under PR. Mm. And so by PR, I mean political spin, which mm -hmm. is what you're talking about, scandal, which is PR, manipulation. Then we've got personal PR, mm -hmm. where we've been encouraged to work out what our story is to our elevator speech. What is your elevator speech? Tell people who you are in eight seconds. I can't. I, I, I do. I don't think I can. But also, what person can listen to who another person is in eight seconds? Well, it's just bull, yeah. you know. It, does, it just doesn't strike me as, as authenticity, which is, is my favourite thing. If, it, if I was sitting down doing one of those exercises where you write down, uh, you just write stream of consciousness, word, word, mm. word, 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 to really connect with what is going on inside, that sounds very much like I should have been smoking a joint at the same time. I wasn't, although it is medically legal in California. <laughs> Um, but I, uh, the two words at the top were authenticity and truth. And I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting, that they would just bubble on up. But of mm. course they would. You know, that's why it's awful when you, you would have been in a stand-up arena where somebody gets up and says, I broke up with my boyfriend this week, and then, and then three minutes later in the same set, they say, my boyfriend and I were watching television. Because yeah. it's a trope, it's a meme, it's, a, it's something that they've got, it's a great gag, and they haven't worked out... How to get rid of it yet. How to get rid of it yet, <laughs> but it's a great gag. But, you know, but it's bull. Yeah. And, and for me, it sends up... I don't know whether I'm the, on the spectrum, or I'm ADHD or OCD or just... a beautiful bird of paradise is what you are. Just a little bit different. <laughs> but things like that happen and the hair stand up on the back of my neck and on the top of my lip and everywhere, you know? So I just think that, that as you say, when, but you have this amazing skill of being able to get people to, to tell an authentic story. When I went onto your website and I saw the teaching and then the, the, uh, the way people then came up... Anyway, look, I'm just... I'm, I'm, no, you're not. You're I'm talking. falling at your knees now. No, you're not. Don't but, fall um, at my knees. My feet are probably stinking. OK. Um, what's next for you? I have a play opening in Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival. Interestingly, it's like full circle. Da, da, da. That the woman who's directing it... So it's a play called Careful about an artist. It's a story that I've written about an artist called Horse who was born female. She is female, actually, but she grew up gay in the 70s in the west coast of Scotland, in the east coast of Scotland, which is not really... was not really big gay-friendly time. Absolutely. Um, and it's being directed by Maggie Kinloch, who is the head of the Royal Scottish Academy. <laughs> no. I swear, right? Oh. I know, right? It's like, da-da-da. <sighs> Um, so, you yeah. must be very proud. Do you know what? I know her. That's the thing, though. It's one of those things about age, which is you find... You find that the people who are your friends have these positions now that you used to go, Oh, my God! How did they get...? Yeah, no, yeah. so uh, she's my friend. I like her. No, I know. So we're working on that. That opens on the 3rd of... Or the previews are the 3rd of August, and it runs through August at the National Museum of Scotland for the Edinburgh Festival. I have um, two storytelling classes on youtellyours.com. Uh, two storytelling courses. They've actually, they sell quite well in Australia. I don't yeah. know why. And, um, They'll sell even better after this. <laughs> Everyone's going to want a piece of yarning. I have, um, what else? I have a pop band that I kind of work with. 
I am doing a live storytelling course here in September, I've just agreed. And I'm going to Martha's Vineyard with the Moth um, at the beginning of August to host their big event there. So it's all a bit much... And you're uh, writing some TV. And I am, yeah, I'm writing some TV, which you're never allowed to talk about until everybody no, no. says you can talk about no, it. No, that's OK. I just, you know. I mean, because the, the thing is, I mean, you really are a slashy. You, you, you're a multi-hyphenate. Do you know, or... a slashy in uh, Scotland means going for a wee. Oh, you that's a taking a slash. Yeah, no, so if a okay. slashy, does that mean you think I'm a little bit dribbly? No, 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 lady no, department? no, 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 no. It's, no, it's actor slash, you're so <laughs> bad. Actor slash, writer slash... Director, right? So uh, it's it's a slashy or a multi-hyphenate. You're being difficult, um, which is you know. <laughs> that's my mother, part of my talent. My mother used to say, "Why be why be why be difficult when, with a little encouragement, you could be impossible." <laughs> she's I quite think right. I would have loved your mother. Oh, you would, you mm. would. The the doing all of those different things. Mm. Do you just naturally you compartmentalize your day, or you do things as they come up? Do you have to lock yourself away from people? Do people interrupt you? And I, you know, the thing that's the biggest trial usually is not getting embroiled in social media, because by the nature of stuff, like so, I have people that work in Baltimore, and that's a three-hour time difference with them, and then I have uh, people who are in the UK, and that's an eight-hour time difference, you know. Um, so, like, I naturally have to work online. A bit. If I get caught in any of the social media stuff, then that's a real drag because I can get pulled in. And also, by nature, some of the things that I do, like I do answer people online. Like if people, if people ask me story questions through the site, I'll answer them uh, because I think that if I don't, I'm a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. Right? I can't say I'm interested in hearing your stories if, if I'm like, no, I'm too much in my gilded cage. Um, so that can be disruptive because I get into it. Um, mostly, though, I do what feels right on the day. Um, and I started doing this thing which I never believed. My 14-year-old self would have just been abhorred by this, which is that you can do one thing. So, like, this morning I was all about this... The, my pop band. It was all about the pop band and dealing with all their personalities and working their thing. Um, and then I knew that I had to get onto this story that I'm doing this week for another event. And so what I did was I meditated. I had lunch and I meditated. And meditating is like, like even if you do like 15 minutes, it's like putting a reset on your head. And then do you have like, a guided track that you listen to? Oh, I do. To? Okay. I do. Which one? There's a great app called Headspace. Okay. And the reason I use it is because it's just this really adorable guy talking. And there is no pan flute or pan pipe music, none of that. Poo, 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 poo. Because mm. I can't. Sorry. It's but, like having you know. Richard Clyderman playing oh, and having God. a massage. Yeah. Like, don't go breaking my heart yeah. on the piano. <laughs> I'm like. I can't, I'm so, I just can't relax when you're doing that kind of shit. Just stop it. No, right? I know it, because yeah. you feel like you're in a kind of ugly 70s yeah, soft porn weird. movie. Know, you're like, get you off. Know, you're an Asian woman who hasn't been exposed to this, but trust me, I don't want it. No, and yeah. the, so the pan flute music I, I find impossible. So anyway, Headspace is amazing. And also what's brilliant about that app is you can meditate on different things. So you meditate first, like learning to meditate, but then you can meditate on... Like, at the moment, I'm meditating on acceptance, 
right? And the reason I'm meditating on acceptance is because the world is freaking crazy. You know, like, oh, everybody's fighting everybody else, and you go online, it's like this stuff with Europe and the horrible stuff that's happening in Syria and in China, people are fighting over, like, the oceans. And, like, over here, we've got, like, the whole Trump thing going on. It would drive you crazy. And for someone like me, I have control issues. I'm like, well, I should do something. I'm like, yeah, what? So if I meditate on acceptance, it shows me uh, what I can do and what I can't. And actually, that some things are true and some things are not true. And it's, it's really helpful. But it also helps me move from one project to another project without taking... Like, because when, whenever you're working on something, you always have a set of... Um, problems is their own word, because problems suggest something that's unforeseen. If you're making a new project, there will always be things that are unforeseen. And those are therefore challenges. So with every project, you'll have challenges. Um, and if you take the challenges of one project into another, it just kind of screws with everything. So it's good to be able to reset in between, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, absolutely. You're too, you, yeah. This has been... This is going to sound weird, but this has been like interviewing myself. Is it really? Oh, my God. But gosh. I am not an, I, an exotic, exotic bird of paradise. Exotic bird of paradise, yeah, thanks. OK, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dag. <laughs> um, dag is an Australian word that is, actually has nothing to do with sheep in this term. It means you're lovely, but Aww. you're so funny. Yeah. Um, what's your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure is I really like... <laughs> I really like uh, watching... There's a point in the night where my husband and I go to... My husband and I, we go to bed and watch, like, The Good Wife on TV or, like, uh, Orange is the New Black or something, and we completely just stream it. Like, we binge-watch stuff. And I just love it because it's the point where I'm not involved in any of it. I'm not involved in, in making it or controlling it or any of it. But also, there's a thing, we've been really lucky, like, you know, we have a pool. I know, look at us with our pool. And I really like getting into the pool with the boys, like my kids and my husband, and just splashing around. And it's silly. It's silly for two reasons. It's silly because who would believe that us would have a pool? Do you know what I mean? All four of us get a real kick out of it. But why? Why would that? I don't because, just... you know, like, I'm from Cumbernauld, where, you know, you would have a pool, but it, because it, it's like it rained all the time, that's why the pool would be in your backyard. Okay. Whereas sometimes I look out into my backyard and I'm like, man, who does this belong to? And I the... pay for water. Yeah. Like, I pay to have, as well as yeah. the Beverly Hillbillies called it, a cement pond. But, you know, you've seen it. It's like a big lake. And yes. I look out and I'm like, man, who, who gave... Is there going to be, like, some important person going to come in here yeah, and you. tell us to leave or something? Last question. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't even know why I'm asking this, but I think, I think you're going to have an answer for me. Is there a game that you play on the iPad? Do you know, I play... Um, Candy, is it Candy Crush? Candy no, Crush. no, Cookie, Cookie something, Cookie whatever. Cookie Crush, Cookie, cookie whatever. I don't know. And there's Panda things. I play the ones that are like, um, they're, my kids are abhorred by the games that I play, abhorred. Because they're basically like kind of upper, they're like a couple of rungs up from um, Tetris. 
you know, they're that sort of thing. Oh, I, yeah, I play wood puzzle, though. You see, I quite oh, like that. Oh, it's wood puzzle? Oh, it's like Tetris, but <gasps> it's wonder. I'll show you. Oh. And the other one I have, I've just, I, oh, this is just driving me crazy. I have to set an alarm to stop myself. Uh, it's called Pearl's Peril. Oh, hello. And you, you collect hidden objects and and you feed a monkey bananas and, and get rewards and then you build an island. So I've got a hotel on it and a greenhouse and a, oh. and, and fences and, and little ponies and and palm trees. It's pretty special. You see, I can't do those because I feel responsible. Like remember you remember was it Farmville or something like that that there used oh, to I be? Oh I never got into that. Oh I couldn't do it because okay. then I'd be like my trees are withering. I oh, need no, to no, look no, at no, them. No, 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 no. Once, I, once I build them, that's nothing. Yeah, they just stay there, they don't wither they or just, you don't yeah. have to feed them or anything. Yeah. And what about the horses? Do the horses need fed or No, because they're 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 pretend. like circuit. No, like um yes, they're uh, uh like a carousel horse. Oh right, okay. Yeah, but yeah, you don't have live creatures. No, and I don't have to water anything, it's not making me do that. I just have to find the objects and solve the crime. Story, do you think that tells about you that you've got your own private island with your own carousel, no living things, and you have to solve crimes? Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm sitting for a therapy. <laughs> <laughs> don't you put me on the spot? I don't know. What does it tell me? I don't know. It's your story, not mm, mine. I don't know. You know what I like? Mm. I, uh, and I realise that that, uh, that you have to go, but this is just so much fun. Uh, there is a psychologist called Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. Oh, hello. And uh, he's from one of the Slavic countries, so it's a CZY, mm. you know, and, and goes on for hours. Great name for Scrabble. Okay. <gasps> yes, right. except it's his last name. Uh. And he he created a, a, a paradigm, wrote a book about flow. And flow is when you become so engaged in something that you forget what you're doing and where you are, and it uh. can go on for hours. And I was put onto it by a therapist that I saw when my mum was dying, mm. because I'm I'm a intense, I'm a performer, I'm a brightly coloured bird, yeah. and I needed to shut down. And we were very much in that vein of. Uh, when I was raised, you know, Mum had a business from when I was nine, and before that, she served subpoenas, and I would drive out with her, and she sold life assurance, and I would go with her, you know. So it was always a very active, working kind of lifestyle. So we didn't have hobbies. We didn't go to the movies, we didn't go to the theatre, we didn't go to art galleries, we didn't go to concerts. We had records and, and we danced around the house, but pretty much it was either you're sleeping, working, or eating, and that's mm. about it. So I think that notion of learning to do something, knitting, quilting, reading, playing chess, um, uh, that kind of peripatetic meditation, walking, mm. doing a gym, doing something, it's funny that that would be my last, <laughs> but doing something that completely takes you away from your everyday to give your neurons a break yeah. and that also gives you some kind of joy gives you some kind of pleasure and I think a friend of mine said today where I live at the apartment she said that she'd just been down to Cabo for a wedding mm -hmm. 
and she made her realise that she has to get away more often. That five days away has given her a new sense of purpose and a new perspective and how wonderful that is. And I said, but that's what, what meditation and reading and, and playing these games is for me. Even if I only do it for an hour, mm. it takes me away from creating content, doing voiceover, being a comedian, lining up interviews for the podcast, speaking to the marketers, all of that stuff that is fabulous, mm. but doesn't give you well, the, the thing is, is I can pick up anything and make it obsessive. That's my real thing. That's well, what I've learned. I tell you, we were twins separated <laughs> No, because you're an exotic bird. Well, you're not bad yourself. <laughs> but like, with, like, just when you said knitting there, like, I can knit, and um, I think I'm quite good at knitting, actually. And so, But, but you I, knitted a bridge. <laughs> no, you know what I did? Everybody, everybody, all my relatives, every one of them got a knitted hat for Christmas. Every one of them, they were like, this is awesome, can we have another one? Well, they didn't go, this is awesome, can we have an... Because it was handmade. So now I've now got this commitment of making this. <laughs> so I've got something for you. All right. There is a breast support organisation mm -hmm. in Australia and they knit breasts for women who've had mastectomies because wow. the prosthetics are really heavy and mm. hot and they don't always want to wear them. So what they do is they knit these boobies mm -hmm. And uh, and they replace the prosthetic, but give you the shape of a breast. Oh, that's And fantastic. they've got a shortage of them. So oh, oh, I should connect you with these so, yeah, people. Yeah, get them to send me a pattern. Yeah, let them little, some Yes, little knitted nipples. Yeah, and everything. no, I'll do that. It's not like Facebook. I can say nipple as much yeah, as I like on my there podcast. You go. No, I, I am. A, but the point is, is I can make anything obsessive. And so, yeah. like the thing with. Uh, I can put anything in the flow. That's what I, that's how I like that thing about flow because I can. Oh, you'll love this! I'm going to send you a link to that yeah. as well. You've been absolutely delightful. Oh, we, could, we could go on forever. We of often course. do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, this has been wonderful, Lynn Ferguson. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. You've been listening to Tate Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favourite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. From Audio Boom comes Covert. A new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.